morning, church. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. Owen, what do we think? Are we going to be computerless this morning? I got, I got this sign from the tech folks, which is never a good sign, but we'll, uh, uh, we'll soldier on. My name is Spencer. Uh, I get to pastor uh, at Church of the City, and it's uh, good to be with you all this morning. And I'm excited because we are starting a new series in the book of Ephesians. Um, and so if you have a Bible, either a physical copy or a digital one, I would encourage you to open it. If you do not, look somewhere in front of you in the pews and you should see one there. Um, you might have to ask someone to pass it to you to avoid an awkward reach. Um, but uh, grab a Bible and open to Ephesians chapter 1. Normally or often, we would have someone come and read the scripture for us, and we had someone lined up this morning uh, who was very willing, but it, we're just going to read two verses, and so I thought, you know, that they'd come up and, and be up here for six seconds and then go back and sit down. So, uh, so uh, Ephesians chapter 1, we're just going to read verses 1 and 2. It'll sort of allow us uh, a, a springboard to introduce the book of Ephesians this morning. So Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so let me be honest with you for a moment. Up until maybe this week, uh, if you had asked me, I would have not said I was excited to preach a series in the book of Ephesians. Uh, in fact, uh, I may have even gone so far as to avoid it. Up until very recently, this would have been the purview of Matt Naismith, who would choose our teaching series, but he would often uh, uh, involve me in discussions around planning some of those things, and this wouldn't have been at the top of my list. And in fact, we had a meeting, uh, some folks who are likely to be teaching during this series. Uh, we had a meeting a couple of weeks ago in my home to think about what the next series should be, and I brought some ideas, and I brought uh, the book of Ephesians as an option, not thinking that anybody would be too excited about it, frankly, because I assumed everybody felt the same way I did. Um, and uh, let me just say, this is strange uh, for one reason in particular, and that's that I have been to Ephesus, or what's left of the city. Do we have any slides back? Almost. Okay, so you might see a picture in a moment of a, uh, a younger, thinner me um, in the city of Ephesus about 14 or 15 years ago. I had the opportunity to be in Turkey for a little bit and took an overnight train from Istanbul to Izmir, the closest main city, which was amazing in and of itself, and then went to the ruins of the city of Ephesus. Um, so I've been to the city, and so I feel this kind of special connection to it. So why would I not have wanted to, to preach this series? Why would it not have been my choice? Well, let, let me tell a story to explain, okay? Uh, maybe some of you have heard of the Oak Island Mystery, or the, the legend of what some call the Oak Island Money Pit. Uh, has anybody heard this story at all? A few of you, okay. So Oak Island uh, is just off the coast of Nova Scotia, and the legend begins sometime around 1799, where the story goes that a group of three young men discovered this circular sort of depression in the ground, like a soft spot, if you will. And so they started to dig, 
Um, what prompted them to dig, you might ask? Well, there had always been legends going around that a rather famous pirate by the name of Captain Kidd had buried some treasure on Oak Island. So they found this sort of strange circular depression in the ground. They started to dig. At a couple of feet, they hit a layer of flagstones. They kept on digging. And as they went, every 10 feet, again, so the legend goes, they found these wooden, these oak platforms. And then it's said that at 30 feet, they abandoned their dig due to an overwhelming sense of dread. Um, And then this is not legend. This is true history. Over the preceding 200 years, uh, various groups or individuals would come and make an attempt to excavate this area. It began, I think the, the first confirmed group was one called the Oak Island Association. Another group that spent quite a bit of time there was called the Triton Group. And all of these groups, all of these individuals, as they would dig, the tunnels that they would be excavating would keep filling with water. This was one of the main challenges to figuring out what was down there. But uh, over the years, over the decades, every so often, a new little discovery would be made. So bits of parchment with, with writing on them. Uh, coconut fibers were found. Um, I've not been to Nova Scotia too often, but I don't think that coconuts are native there. And so if you can imagine this stirred the, uh, the curiosity, the, the imagination that there was pirate treasure down there. There was a stone found at one point with etchings on it that nobody was quite able to decipher. And so over the centuries, there were these small discoveries here and there, which, combined with these legends, kept people, kept these groups coming back and trying their hand at finding buried treasure over and over again. And so you might be thinking, how on earth does this relate to the book of Ephesians, Spencer? Um, Is this how we're to think of this book? Well, Paul does talk in Ephesians about the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. He talks, he uses the word mystery seven times in the book of Ephesians. And in one of those instances, he says, quite simply, this mystery is profound. And if you've ever read the book of Ephesians, I was speaking with someone this morning actually about this, it's clear that you are entering into deep waters. There is theological depth here that's almost unmatched anywhere else in the scriptures, you could argue. And you could tell, you can tell as you read it, that there is treasure here. There is theological richness. But I sometimes feel fear that, you know, what if, what if we go digging for that treasure and we never fully find it? We never fully grasp what Paul is getting at. Is it possible that we're better just sort of playing in shallower waters? Is that the safer bet? Well, let's lay some groundwork about this book of Ephesians, and then we'll come back to this question at the end, okay? Some groundwork. Ephesians, uh, a relatively short book. It's six chapters long, and yet theologians throughout the centuries have believed it to be uh, significant, notable amongst the library of the scriptures. William Barclay called it the queen of the epistles. Armitage Robinson called it the crown of St. Paul's writings. Clinton Arnold, a commentator that we'll reference frequently as we go through this series, says this, this letter summarizes what it means to be a Christian better than any other book of the Bible. 
And finally, John Stott, uh, a famous, famous English preacher, said, Nobody can read it without being moved to wonder and worship and challenged to consistency of life. And so, uh, as I said, we'll use these first couple of verses of the book of Ephesians as sort of a springboard to explore some background for this book. Let me read it again, these first two verses. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We've all probably played the game 20 questions and often the first question there is person, place, or thing, right? And so in these couple of verses, uh, that's sort of the template we're going to use to uh, get some background on this book, okay? So first, let's talk about person. In other words, the author, the Apostle Paul. Paul lived and ministered in the city of Ephesus for a period of three years, um, scholars think from 52 to 55 AD. And if you want to read about that ministry sometime, you can go to Acts chapter 19. And that's where we get some of the, the details of Paul's time in Ephesus. And his ministry there ends with a bang. Um, Paul is nearly involved in this riot that's sort of instigated by the trade guild of silversmiths in the city of Ephesus. And these silversmiths Uh, And we'll get into this as we explore the book a little bit more. But their livelihoods were being threatened as more and more Ephesians uh, were coming to uh, faith in Jesus and and leaving worship of the goddess Artemis. And the silversmiths uh, had uh, a large portion of their business around worship of Artemis, making idols and and different uh, amulets and, and trinkets and things all associated with worship of this goddess. And actually, the picture, uh, did we get that picture on the screen at all? Um, can we have it back, Owen? Did, uh, just to really mess with you? Okay, that amphitheater is where this uh, riot uh, nearly took place. Um, and so again, I feel this special connection to this place. And that, that's how Paul's uh, formal ministry in Ephesus ends. There has been, throughout church history, nearly unanimous agreement that Paul authored this book, and yet, as there always is, um, there's one or two people that said, well, maybe not. Uh, And this started in the 19th century, some skepticism that Paul was actually the author. And this skepticism surrounded three main points, okay? The first is that there's certain stylistic and vocabulary, stylistic elements and vocabulary that seem to be unique to the book of Ephesians that aren't found predominantly in any of Paul's other writings. The second uh, point that some of these skeptics made was the impersonal sort of nature of the book of Ephesians. In other words, when we read some of the other epistles, there's lots of, uh, you know, say hi to so-and-so, and and, uh, -and so-and-so has my coat, Uh, make sure I get it back, and uh, I can't wait to see so-and-so again, or thank this person. And we don't get really any of that in the book of Ephesians. And yet, that's strange because it's a city that Paul spent so much time in. You can see how this is a little bit notable. And lastly, uh, the third point, the the theology of Ephesians displays some different emphases than some of Paul's other letters. Now, as I said, uh, this skepticism was raised, but the vast, uh, the, the majority of both church history and commentators today say, no, Paul is the author of this letter. And some of the main reasons that they 
sort of counter these points with um, in order to affirm Paul's authorship are first, as I said, uh, his authorship was unquestioned up until the 19th century. And it's easy for us to say, well, just because something, some people in the past believe something doesn't mean that it's true. Um, but when it comes to church history, what we so often forget is that these traditions began when the apostles were alive and people were interacting with them. Uh, and so the weight of church history matters. And as I said, Paul's authorship was unquestioned up until a, a couple of hundred years ago. And while scholars will disagree about what's truly unique in this book, in other words, what we don't see in any of the other epistles, they also say, why is it uh, wrong that, or, or questionable that Paul might have uh, written a letter that feels unique from all the others? Um, unique circumstances maybe around his writing, what's, what's uh, wrong with that? Um, it seems entirely logical, in fact. Uh, and finally, um, oh, and so uh, the predominant opinion of scholars is that Paul did write this letter and that he wrote it sometime during A.D. 61 or 62, towards the tail end of his house arrest in Rome, okay? So, going back to the, that's person, all right? Going back to these verses, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now let's talk about place, the recipients of this letter, its destination. What do we know about the city of Ephesus? Well, Ephesus was called the mother city of Asia at that time. It was the Roman capital in the region. It was a major port. Uh, the port over the centuries has become full of, I think, silt, so it's no longer a usable port. But um, at that time, it was a major port and became a point of convergence for major trade routes in the region. It was a multi-ethnic city drawing settlers from a wide geographic area because of the opportunities that it provided, being a major city of trade. And again, this one commentator, Clinton Arnold, calls it the leading city of the richest region of the Roman Empire. So a city of significance. Ephesus was also a religiously pluralistic city. The dominant religion, though certainly not the only one, as we'll talk about, the dominant religion was worship of this Greek god goddess Artemis that I've already mentioned, known to the Romans as Diana. Artemis was the virgin goddess, a divine huntress and goddess of fertility. And Artemis's temple in, in Ephesus came to be considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The influence of uh, the Artemis cult worship of this goddess was felt in every sector in the city of Ephesus. Uh, religiously, of course, but also economically. Her image was uh, stamped on the Ephesian coin. Uh, socially, there were these Olympic-style games held in the city in Artemis's name. But it wasn't just Artemis. The city was dominated by magic and folk belief. Uh, which wasn't inc incompatible with worship of Artemis, by the way. Uh, up to 50 other gods and goddesses were worshipped. Good and evil spirits were seen to have real influence uh, over every area of life, and as a result, there was this thriving cottage industry, as I said, of, of uh, making tokens and talismans and all sorts of things to harness or ward off the power of these various spirits. There was definitely a Jewish population in Ephesus, and we'll see some of that in Paul's writing. Uh, it, 
seemed that they had a reasonable degree of autonomy to worship Yahweh and observe Jewish law, but some scholars actually suggest that it was very likely that because of the nature of this city and this, all this folk and, and magical belief that likely the Judaism there was affected and became sort of a folk Judaism. There have been amulets found invoking Solomon's protection over evil spirits. And then lastly, there was certainly an influence of the Roman imperial cult. There couldn't not be in such a major Roman city uh, at that time, the worship of Caesar, right? And so, uh, it is entirely likely, as we think, why would the, the letter have that impersonal nature that we talked about a moment ago, if it was authored by Paul, and he spent so much time there? Well, it's likely that Paul uh, intended it for the Ephesians, but also for the surrounding region and the churches that had uh, begun to spring up around Ephesus um, to be useful for teaching in all of those cities, all of those areas. Um, and so, as a result, Paul may have authored it in a way that was a little less specific to the city of Ephesus. Lastly, person, we've done person, place, now let's think about thing. Uh, what was the cause the thing that made Paul write this letter. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But this doesn't tell us very much. This is how Paul, this is one version of the introduction that Paul made in many of his letters. And as we've already said, Ephesians is the least situational, the least sort of specific of all of Paul's letters. Um, So some scholars have said, well, he mentioned some false teaching. Um, So maybe that was the reason that he decided to write. But uh, if you compare his talk of false teaching in the book of Ephesians to some of his other epistles, in Ephesians it's a lot less specific and feels a little bit less urgent and sort of bold than in some of his other letters. So scholars have said that's probably not his primary reason for writing. Some have said, well, he simply just, he was a busy guy, and under house arrest, all of a sudden, he had lots of time on his hands. And so he thought, well, I'll just sort of write my, my uh, most grand theological uh, uh, sort of um, work to date, right? And, and I'll send it to the Ephesians. That sounds good. Um, but most scholars say we simply need to broaden our conception of the type of situations that would cause Paul to write a letter. Maybe there was not some uh, specific and uh, apparent crisis there, but Clinton Arnold points to four themes that we see in this letter that likely illuminate some of Paul's purposes in writing. So I want to talk about these quickly to sort of uh, set the stage as we begin this series. Four themes in the letter of Ephesians that likely indicate some of Paul's purpose. Number one, this talk of spiritual power that Paul uh, writes so much about shows us likely what the Ephesian Christians were up against in that city with all this uh, magic and folk belief going on around them. The talk of reconciliation that we'll get into in the coming weeks suggests that Jewish and Gentile Christians hadn't yet fully come together realized the the new family that they were a part of, that God the Father had made diverse peoples one family. The talk of holy living, holy conduct that Paul writes about suggests that some Gentile believers were struggling to make a break with the culture that they were coming out of and to live as citizens 
of Jesus' kingdom. And lastly, as we'll see, quite apparently in the letter of Ephesians, Paul wanted to ground all of this in Christ. Who he is, what he has done, what he is still doing, and what he will do. And so, uh, when it came to the book of Ephesians, as I said, uh, I have always, I mean, it only takes one quick reading of this book to know that there is treasure here. There is theological richness. But I'll admit that I was daunted by the work of exploring all of this and a little fearful of the pitfalls along the way. But of course, it's not really like this at all. It's not like the Oak Island money pit at all. Imagine instead that as we enter into this book of Ephesians, that we sort of stumble into a cave. And when we look inside, we're staggered by the riches contained there. And over time, as we explore together, new passages will open up that lead into new caverns full of treasure themselves. This is what I think Paul means, friends, when he talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. I think he means three things, or he wants us to know three things. The, the first is that, in fact, we could spend our entire lives mining the treasure of this book and not get to the end of all it has to teach us. And so in this sense, unsearchable is, is the fact that we will never fully comprehend the richness presented in these pages. Number two, no, number one, we could explore forever and continue to find new treasure in the book of Ephesians. But number two, there are mysteries written in these pages, but really about the gospel that our minds will never fully comprehend. Things that we'll never completely be able to understand. And lastly, that as we go on this exploration, it might be unsearchable for us individually, but we do not go alone. Listen to Paul's uh, words in chapter 3. He says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so as we explore the riches that Ephesians has to offer, we do not go alone. The Holy Spirit is our guide in this exploration, and we go together. We go together all the saints in this exploration. And so as we close, I would ask you to do this. Uh, as we enter into this new series, and, and uh, let me tell you, though it's six chapters long, we'll be in this for more than six weeks. Trying to, if you were to do a sermon on one uh, chapter of the book of Ephesians, I'd probably want two or three hours. Um, and so we'll be taking it chunk by chunk. And so as we begin... Uh, this book, this series, I just want you to consider what you want 
to see, the, the, the riches that you want to pay special attention to. Think about those themes that we talked about a minute ago. Maybe in your life, you are desperate for spiritual power. It feels as though your spiritual life is constantly pushing a rock up a hill, like you are up against a wall and you say, Spirit, I need your power in my life. What does that look like? Ephesians has some riches to offer us. Maybe you are hungry to see division and hostility broken down. You want to see a diverse church where the full breadth of God's gifts are on display. I hunger for this. Maybe in your missional community, you still see division or hostility, and you think, God, what can you do with this? Ephesians has gold to offer us in this area, friends. Maybe you're needing guidance on how to live as a citizen of God's kingdom, where you live, work, learn, or play. You struggle to discern what does life as a follower of Jesus look like in this place? Again, Ephesians has answers for us. Maybe you're tired of being your own boss. You're realizing you're actually not good at it. And you're ready to follow the leadership of someone who is good and worthy of following. Or lastly, maybe you simply want to recover some mystery in the Christian life. You know, it's funny, I was reflecting this week, uh, the Ephesians believed that there was these spirits at work in the city around them. And they would purchase these items, hoard these items that gave them power over these spirits. These amulets, these necklaces, these tokens of various kinds, right? We're not so different. We have done all we can in our modern world to banish anything that we don't understand. Let's get rid of the supernatural. We can do it through science. We can quantify and and research and explain all the world around us. And if we can't quantify or explain it, then it's likely not real. We're not that different. And so Paul invites them back into understanding a world where there are things beyond our control, and yet there is one who is for us. And if he's for us, then who can be against us? Uh, Chinese-American Theologian K.K. Yao says this, Words cannot really express and reveal who I am is. That words cannot really express who God is does not mean that speech is useless. It is all the more necessary to use words. Although language has its limitations, it is still the best medium by which to express the mystery of the unknown and to be in constant conversation with truth within a community. This is a a beautiful picture of what I hope takes place as we explore this book together. And as we continue, as we do this exploration, continuing on in this transitional moment, season, that we are in as a church, may we explore the mystery and the unknown together in community. I'm going to pray for us in a moment, and then we're going to sing. And as we said last week, we're uh, reinstating something as part of our reunion gatherings, and that is uh, having a, a group of folks up here at the front who would love to pray with you. And this is one example of exactly what KKEO writes about, right? 
in constant conversation with truth within a community. Part of that is praying together. And so if there is something heavy on your heart or mind, or someone else heavy on your heart and mind, uh, this, uh, these, uh, these men and women every week would love to pray with you. So you can come up at any point while we're singing these last, uh, this last song or two, or after our service concludes, they will stick around for a time, okay? Let me pray for us. Jesus, as we have uh, sung, and are beginning to explore in this book, we believe that you are, as Paul writes, seated far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. And so I know that in the world in which we live, we want to explain and quantify uh, everything around us. And so as we explore the book of Ephesians, if nothing else, would you open our eyes to uh, the wonder of who you are, the beautiful mystery of the gospel, which we are invited to explore and understand better, but we recognize with joy we will never fully wrap our minds around. Would your spirit be our guide as we explore this beautiful treasure that Ephesians has to offer us. We pray this in your mighty and wonderful name, Jesus. Amen.